Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts Third. I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Of course, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm joined by my man. Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D-Lo, a.k.a. soon-to-be producer extraordinaire, a.k.a. the man who may have to take over while I pass out sometime in the next three hours as we didn't get home until 3 o'clock. I'm surprised you got home that early, honestly. Oh, man. Well, see, the first half went by real fast, which helped. And then, uh, you know, we had to wait on the celebration and then the post-game presser, and it was a very long post-game presser. And a certain someone got very uh, frustrated with the, as he deemed them, Chamber of Commerce for Pensacola questions being asked. Quote, Cat, I'm trying to find out about the game. That's not the time for it. Like, I got to be able to ask my questions. What's going on? We, were we talking economic impact of the Sunbelt Tournament? Was that going on? <laughs> Did we really get that far into it? I was just, I just, I, had, I just had to look at Kevin. I was like, calm down. <laughs> just calm down. Oh, man. We, we made the decision. A decision was made to drive back home. At first, you're like, hey, everything's already packed up because our hotel room was up. So if we stayed in Pensacola, we'd just have to go get another room, which wouldn't have been that big of a deal, right? But we make the decision, as Kevin would say, hot pursuit. (laughs) We get on the road, and then we get to Mobile, and then we get through Alabama, and we get to Mississippi, and then it's like, hey, here you go. And that's making a couple pit stops, and then it's having to stop off and get a you know, leader of coffee and singing pop songs from the 70s and 80s to stay awake <laughs> on the way home. But here we are. We're champs. That's where we are. That's wow. where the Raging Cajuns <laughs> are. Yeah, That's, I don't know about you. You're not really a part of the fan base, but. Uh, I'm right. I'm not a graduate. Uh, I'm not an alum. I, you, you have to be technically considered alumni if you graduate correct so my glorious semester spent at south alabama does not count yeah geez not only is not a part of the winning team you were part of the opposing team (laughs) 
I forgot about that whole aspect of this. Oh, it was a glory. I won't tell you what my uh, what my grades were for that glorious semester. I got an A in one class, not in the others. Wow. It was a tremendous environment. At first, it was slow. I was worried about the crowd for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament men's championship game because it seemed a little sparse at first. But by the time I looked up a couple, about three or four minutes into the game, a nice crowd had showed up. It was the second most, uh, the second largest crowd of the tournament, only behind the Southern Miss South Alabama game. Well, I was gonna, I was completely surprised about the number of people in there. I kept kind of saying that, like, man, there's a lot of people in there. I, I mean, I was surprised. Too. I get it's a championship game, but I didn't, you know, hear a whole lot of buzz from anybody I know going down. There. And then, as it turns out. Good friend of mine ended up being there. Didn't even I? I had no idea he was going. So I guess people just kind of went and didn't really make a big deal out of it. A lot of people came the day of, right? Yeah, for the championship game only. Seemed like for the championship game only because being there the whole weekend, there was a lot of people. Because we sat our media tables were essentially behind the majority of the Raging Cajun stands. So I saw far more uh, newer faces last night inside the Pensacola Bay Center for the championship game that I'd seen the rest of the weekend. Uh, but South Alabama's fans came. And the Jaguar fans were loud. And their coach made sure to ask them to come, and guess what? They made the short drive for Mobile to come and support their team. This was an interesting game in, in so many different ways. South Alabama did not look like a team that had played an extra game. South Alabama appeared to be the team with more energy. They had a chip on their shoulder, and early they were the more physical team. And for all the talk that Kevin Samuel couldn't be physical, I'm fairly for certain he proved everyone wrong, especially in the first half, and for a good portion of early in the second half when he went right right at Jordan Brown. Like, he went right after them. And the big fella was getting his, the big seven-footer, the Florida Gulf Coast Community College transfer. Of course, more Isaiah Moore was a problem early on, and really for the entire game, as he put up a game-high 33 points. Kendrell Garnett struggled all night with him. All night. And Bob kept leaving him in the game because you couldn't use Greg Williams because Greg, we find out in the press conference, had suffered turf toe the night before. He tried to make a go of it. They realized that he couldn't go, so that's why you didn't see Greg in the game. So they didn't have anyone else for Kentrell to come in. Joe came in to play defense, but Joe got three or four fouls. So... This was a weird game where Jordan Brown had a workmanlike double-double. Just like the night before, actually the entire tournament, Jordan Brown didn't have an easy shot. All the opposing teams said, okay, big fella, we're going to double you. That's what they did. It didn't work. It made him work harder for it. He didn't go off for 36. He still got his double-double. So no Greg Williams, right? He's out. Kentrell Garnett is having a bad night. 
by his standards. He's getting beat up on with, with his defense. He's not making his shots. Kobe Julian really didn't give you anything off the bench. Right? And you're like, uh-oh. But it's halftime, and you go, they're only down by four. South Alabama shot at one point in the first half, Dawson, 71% from the field in the first half. Well, that's the thing, too. So, you know, you talk about coming out with more energy. I don't know if it was energy, but it was certainly shot making. And I sat there in the half, and I texted a couple of friends. As I said, to be down four when your opponent's shooting 63%, you probably just take that and run to the locker room. I mean, it could have been worse. And, and the fact that they grinded in enough to stay in the game, hit yep. a few three-point shots, which was key, to stay in the game because with, with a team, it's just like Georgia Southern did in the Cajun Dome way back when. Now, in that one, you were down by way more because they had hit even more three-point looks and stuff like that than South Alabama did. But to go into the half, whether your opponent's shooting 63% and you're right there, that's really what, that's what saved this game for the Cajuns. I agree. And we talked about it yesterday, and I talked about it on RP3's Three Things on our YouTube channel, at the game Louisiana, by the way. Two things they were going to have to do. One, slow down South Alabama's three-point shooting. They were averaging eight a game coming into the tournament. In seven of the last eight games, they won. In that eight of nine stretch that the Jaguars did, they made like 8, 10, 12, 13, 13. They're a three-point shooting team. It's what they do. For the game, they only made three. That's it. And I believe it's zero in the second half. I'll have to fully check on that, but I do not think they had one in the second half. Owen White was not a factor at all. He's their, he's their best three-point shooter. He was not a factor. They took him out of the game. So you hold the, the, the Jaguars to three points. Rebounding, you win that battle as well. Out-rebound South Alabama 31-27. to I said that was part of it. And they got more physical as the game went along. Jordan Brown started to find his groove. They also started calling some fouls. The officiating was not great in last night's championship game. But that was key. And look, Terrence Lewis the second, he stepped up in a big way, four six from the field, twelve points for them, five rebounds, and Jordan Brown got his double double. But Dawson, it was a Themis Folk show. He had not played good during the tournament. The guy that we saw, the starting point guard that we saw for the first half of the season, including the first half of conference play, had kind of gone away a little bit. He kind of got. It went into a lull, if you will. He sees the opportunity. They challenged him. And I understand why Richie challenged him as a South Alabama coach because they were like, they dared him to score. They didn't think Themis could score. You're going to double Jordan. You're going to worry about the other guys. They don't have Greg Williams. They're going to be a man down. Kobe's not going to be really a, a factor in here. What you got? And Themis made him pay. He had... Three point three three pointers by himself. Well, and he hit his first two, which fundamentally kind of changed. Those are huge too, because like you take a look at the end of the game, and he goes, I don't know, was it three for six from three or something like that? But yep, he hits the first two, and what that does is because South Alabama basically said we're going to give him that shot, which 
I've always th- I thought all year theme is thirty four percent from three, like not a bad three point. There's a lot of guys who are worse than that that take no. plenty more threes, but he doesn't like taking them. Now that's just not his game. But they clearly dared him to in the first half, and he said okay, and he hit the first two, and that kind of fun that kind of changed some of the spacing. I thought that was really important. Now that was huge. They still gave him way more than that. He if he wanted to take ten looks, he could have because they were all he had probably ten to twelve open three point shots. He didn't, and he and he was able to make other plays. Um, but hitting the first two and then hitting another one later in the game was was huge because that kind of just it didn't again South Alabama still kind of stuck to the whole we're we're gonna leave him if we have to mentality about Themis but it at least made them have to think about it and I thought that opened up the opportunities to drive to the basket to find other guys and I thought that was that was huge another guy that stepped up big and he did so throughout the tournament. We gotta give love to Jalen Dalcourt. He needs uh, he needs a key to the city in Pensacola. The man just comes to play I, when he gets to Florida. He and, and and this is the thing that has stood out to you and I the entire season about this team, and a lot of people don't want to hear it because they're like, ah, it's a cliche. This team has great chemistry. This team is extremely close. They talked about it afterwards as well. Where they talked about, you know, Isaiah Richards gets. I I thought that could have been a game changer late when he got the flagrant two and got ejected out of the game, and I was like, oh no, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna get away from him here. And they talked about how he's an energy guy, and they talk about how every day in practice he beats up on Jordan Brown. That's his job, right? But then during the game, he's the biggest cheerleader on the bench, or that Thomas and Dalcourt go head to head with Themis. And, and Themis said in the presser, he says, look, Jalen would be a starter for most of the teams in the Sun Belt. He's not a starter for us. It, it, all the guys have bought in to what Bob wants. And and of all the criticisms over, for, of Bob over the years, mainly for not making the NCAA tournament, the things his teams usually have, Dawson, and it's not, it hasn't always been the case. There's been some years where you go, eh, the team chemistry hasn't been great. The team buys into what he has to sell. They believe in each other. They buy into what Bob has to sell. And you know what? It's always a clean program, right? You never hear about the Raging Cajun men's basketball team getting in trouble. He graduates his kids. They stay out of trouble. They get each other's back. <sighs> And last night, you got to see that at, 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 on full. Look, South Alabama played its tail off. Oh, and that's that's another thing, too. I, the one thing I want to shut down before it even gets brought up would be the narrative that the Cajuns, you know, didn't have to go through the top season this tournament. Um, because now, look, at least in the semifinals, certainly they caught a, I think they caught a break playing Texas State over playing Marshall. But when it got to the finals, I know there was an eight next to South Alabama's name, but I think we can all sit here and say that South Alabama was the second best team in the conference down the stretch. Southern Miss's head coach would tell you that <laughs> he wasn't yeah. too thrilled about having to play South Alabama in the yeah. I it, mean, and it, and it, you played a team that, and also net ranking wise, South Alabama had closed the gap all the way to where they were only about twelve spots behind UL. But UL also beat Marshall during the regular season. They beat Southern Miss during the regular season. You know, we saw how good of a team Texas State really was, that they were far better than their record indicated and that they came together. They won the conference tournament. Like, yeah, let's just go and shut that down. And Bob Marlin, 
now has guided the Raging Cajuns to the tournament twice. And what's happened in the last three years? Semifinals, tournament runner-up, tournament champion, going to the NCAAs. He's the longest tenured coach in the conference. Maybe there's a reason why. And I, I'm going to take a look for you when we come back after the break. We're going to hear from Coach Bob Marlin, but I'm also going to take a look at kind of the progression of what happened to this program over the past decade or so. It had kinda, a lull. Kind of give some answers to right, that. Right, I've, it, I've been right. doing a little bit of a deep dive. Right. For you. It had a lull for a couple years. That happens, especially at a mid-major program, by the way. But the Cajuns are champions. We had Jordan Brown's mama standing next to us. That that lady, that poor lady was nervous, man. She was nervous the last couple of minutes. But he made his shots like a, like always. They made their shots. Themis Folks was amazing. Great atmosphere. Confetti came down, and the Raging Cajuns are the champions of the Sunbelt Conference, and they're headed to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. basketball game it's what conference tournaments are all about i told the guys with about seven minutes to go did you expect anything different you could tell it was going to come down in one or two possession game and just super proud of our guys i'm so happy for them they played a great second half uh you know terrence hit a big shot big free throws jb was getting hit beat on all night he made some big plays uh jalen dalcourt stepped up big for us with greg out and that's good, and we get Greg healthy here in the next week and a half. I've got uh, Themis folks right here from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Jordan Brown, uh, senior or junior from uh, Roseville, California. Longtime men's basketball coach Bob Marlin there afterwards. He was so proud of his guys in the postgame presser. They got to celebrate on the court and got to – take down the nets one by one up the ladder and Bob you could tell was emotional afterwards and rightfully so it's it's been a rough couple of years for Bob and I'm not talking about what this team's done on the court I'm talking about the things with his family with his health those have been some trying times and be trying times for anyone much less a basketball coach and to push through and to persevere and to be able to get back to the NCAA tournament. By the way, the fourth time in his career he's done that. Did it twice at Sam Houston State. He's done it now twice at UL, including also going to the NIT during his time with the Raging Cajuns. And Marlon just talked about how good it felt to be able to, for he and his team to be able to punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament. 
Feels good. Today's the anniversary of my mother's death that I had to I had to go home, uh, and we were with her when she passed. And you know, it was an emotional time for me. I was totally spent last year in the championship game, but uh, it means a lot. These guys wanted to defend the code, is what Oliver, our strength coach, said all, all summer, spring and summer and fall, and. Uh, we did that. We came back with a mission to win it, and we were, we were fortunate enough to make it happen. I love this team. They, they're connected, do a lot of great things. I, I said it before, and Bob's done this before with his teams, and I've seen it with other college basketball teams in particular. Anytime you can take an overseas or take a trip to Central South America or the Caribbean in the preseason, it helps your team. And why does it help your team? It has nothing to do with the basketball that you're playing. It has nothing to do with the opponent that you're playing, Dawson. It has to deal with, it's called team building. It's called team bonding. And if you have that additional time, yeah, the coaches may be able to find out something and go, hey, so-and-so needs to work on their jumper. Or, you know what, this combination of these five guys on the court work really well when we're playing a zone defense, right? You can maybe, maybe take some few nuggets out of that. But it's mainly about the brotherhood. It's about bonding. They went to Puerto Rico in the preseason. This is a veteran group that's been together for a little while, and they made the trip. And in basketball, more than any sport, I think, because you're talking about a sport where, A, the roster is much smaller, of course. When you have a football team, of course, like there's chemistry throughout a team and there's guys, but there's generally guys who – you know, they hang out with maybe their position groups and a few other guys here and there, but it's impossible to be close with 100 guys, right? Um, same thing on a baseball team. You have a bigger roster, 35 guys, so maybe the pitchers are real close. Maybe the position players are. Maybe some of the others. It's a little bit more clickish in baseball. Yeah, but in a basketball team, you got 12 guys, you know, maybe 15 guys at the most when you're talking about guys who are redshirting and things like that. Uh, there's a, you know, now it's not, it's not that way on every team. Some teams certainly have a couple of guys who are really close and then a couple of guys who are just kind of there and this team, you can tell, though. I don't know if there's a single guy on this roster that wouldn't tell you they're close with everybody else on the roster. You can see that in the way they play, um, and you can hear that when they talk about each other. And you talk about a guy like Jalen Dalcourt, who, you know, look, he didn't have – he probably and, – and I look, I felt, I felt for him throughout the season because he had a great tournament last year, and it felt like he was going to kind of yep. move that into a starting role and have a great senior season, and it didn't work out that way. And he came off the bench, and he didn't play well off the bench for times. And we heard Bob Marlin challenge him at certain points throughout the season, and he said it in press conferences. And I think that was a challenge to him that said, look, it's time to embrace your role and do what you do. And Jalen Dalcourt did that down the stretch. Greg Williams, who was a leader of this team, he can't be out there in the championship game. So who steps up? Jalen Dalcourt comes in and hits a, a few enormous shots, including the basic game winner. Yes. Little shot in the lane, you're up by one inside of 30 seconds, and Jalen Dow- and guess what happens? Everyone collapses on Jordan Brown, and you know what? Dalcourt, unbelievably smart basketball play because a lot of guys probably would have stayed in the corner looking for a three point shot right there. He recognizes all the space that's going to be in the mm-hmm. middle of the lane. You get a little shovel pass to Dalcourt, and he hits a tough little six footer off platform in the lane. So, I just really uh, I thought it was an impressive group, and yeah, that, that this team is 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 close knit. Um, they never really wavered. And they had a couple of points in the season. We talked about that tough road trip where they lost, what was it, three out of four games. Um, right. They lost. They, they struggled at McNeese but pulled out the eight-point win. And then they went and lost at Texas. 
and then they began conference play with the back-to-back losses. And then, and then you still had that other stretch where, you, in towards the end of conference play, after everything had been rolling, where you went and lost a couple of tough games to Southern Miss and Troy, and then lost a game to James Madison, and yep. people kind of said, "Man, where?" And there was not a lot of talk about the Cajuns coming into the tournament. There was, you know, from the people outside of this area, right? There was a lot of talk about Southern Miss, a lot of talk about, about Marshall, Marshall, a lot of talk about South Alabama, and even some buzz for Old Dominion. And James Madison, but not a lot of talk about the Cajuns. And I think they took that personally. And look, I it, I said it too. It doesn't always work out this way. But when you play well in a tournament like last year, you want it to build momentum and come into the season. And it seems like it's just that simple. We're just going to pick up right where we left off last season. It's not that simple. Uh, and the Cajuns felt like they left something out there on the court last year. And they, look, guess what happened also? Jordan Brown had a chance to go pro if he wanted to or into the transfer portal or anything like that. Those guys all came back for the most part. You had one. Theo um, Kuba left Theo to go to Ole Miss for a, you know, and for a better opportunity and for himself. And barely plays, and they fire their head coach. Now, and look, I, I, I won't even, you know. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not being critical. Decision, it's just, it's just funny how sometimes and, those things. And work. you know what? How some things work out because you probably don't see Terrence Lewis come in if he's not going to be a starter. Correct. Um, so Theo departs. Terrence Lewis comes in and ends up being an integral part of this. Theme is folks. The other thing too. Coach Bob Marwan and his staff, which I, I, you're not going to hear me give them enough credit today. I'm going to keep giving it to them all day. But they saw a, a good team that kind of had the pieces to start something last year, and they went out and they said, we need a couple more pieces. So yes. what do we do? We go to the transfer portal, and we get Terrence Lewis and Themis Falks, who kind of transformed this team, right? Take right. them to that next step. You have guys that embrace their roles. Again, like Jalen Dow. Jalen Dalcourt's a guy who, when things started to go to where it looked like Kentrell was going to be that last starter in the lineup, he could have jumped into the transfer portal, tried to do something else. He stays and embraces his role. So, I mean, just a just a, a culmination of a, of a huge effort from this roster. Michael Thomas, Joe Charles accepting their roles coming off the bench, right? Kobe Julian accepting that, hey, this is my role now. I'm coming off an injury. What can I do to help? And everyone buys in. And that's what makes this thing kind of special for the Raging Cajuns and why it's so great for them to be able to go out there and get a win like they did in the conference tournament. And they win three games in three days, and they're headed to the NCAA tournament. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk about Bob Marlin a little bit more. And uh, plenty of uh, detractors out there over the last few years in particular last three to four years in particular I have my thoughts on why that is and why that doesn't matter anymore and Dawson's going to chime in as well that's next right here on the game this is RP3 and company on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Will Bob Marlin now be respected the way he should be? Because what's going to be left for the naysayers to say now? I mean, this is what the guy has done in 13 seasons. 
He's averaged 19 wins a year. He set the record for most regular season wins in program history. He's set the record for the first season going undefeated in the Cajun Dome era at home. He's gone to the NCAA tournament now twice. He's gone to the NIT once. He's won a regular season championship. And I know some folks will say, RP3, you got to win more if you're going to be that long at one place. Like, you should be going to a postseason tournament every three to four years at a mid-major program. Not at a mid-major program in the Sun Belt, unless you're Georgia State, which is a basketball school. By the way, the Raging Cajuns aren't a basketball school. He runs a clean program. His players don't get in trouble. He's been to the NCAA tournament now twice. He's been to the NIT once. He's been to the CIT three times. He averages 19 wins a year. Kids don't get in trouble. He's consistent. And I I get, look, for me, Dawson, it all boils down to the 2017-18 season. If they don't lose to LSU and Will Wade doesn't act like a child and try to punk him out on the court to Bob Marlin, the voices of people being upset about Bob wouldn't be as loud. But that got into people's crawl. It just did. Uh, Losing on senior night, that's one thing. Jakeen and Gatt got hurt in the semifinals. He's throwing up. You you lose in the conference tournament. But everything would have been still kind of okay if you could have beat Big Brother. You know, if you would have won that game against Little Rock or maybe made it to the conference title game, you probably would have hosted the NIT game. And I think that game ends up different. But losing to Big Brother... Got into a lot of people's feels about that and got a lot of people got upset about it because they felt like the program got embarrassed, right? I don't think if that happens, it's ne- nearly as bad. And that's part of it. But also, basketball is different than what it used to be, especially for mid major programs. I just look, I've always liked Bob, I've, I've defended Bob on this airwaves. I'm one of the few people on this station that have done so. Others have been naysayers about him and about them underperforming. I think the guy's done a nice job. I think he's done a very good job in the 13 years that he's been at the helm of the Raging Cajuns men's basketball program. And I'll begin my monologue now. So, you know, I think it's funny, too, to go back to that situation uh, with that NIT and then take a look at the trajectory of what happened afterwards. And look, certainly LSU had some successful years in there. Then we kind of found out that maybe there was some stuff behind the scenes. And I don't get too far into that right now because it's not really what it's about. But I think the ability for Bob to recover from that. And I wanted to take a look at the year-by-year trends of this coaching career for Bob Marlin, right? Because they go to the Sun Belt Tournament Championship in 2014 and they win it with Alfred Payton a team that was maybe a little bit ahead of schedule, right? And they lost a ton of talent off that roster. And it took them a few years to get back. And they still were finishing in the top half of the league and making runs in the conference tournament, by the way. With Sean Long. Um, And a couple of years there with Jay Wright as well. Yep. 
And so it's not like they were finishing at the bottom of the conference while they were rebuilding this thing, but they weren't quite at the top. The three seasons after they went to the tournament for the first time, which you're referencing, they won 22 games, 19 games, 21 games. And then in 2017, we saw the culmination of some things. First of all, they had built some talent from within. They had brought some transfers in. They had a guy in Bryce Washington who was brought in from St. Aug High School in New Orleans, basically didn't have any other offers and was turned into an all-conference player by this coaching staff. Great player for the Cajuns. And then they brought in some transfers, and there was a couple of really cool things about that transfer class, some guys who wouldn't have came here other than having some really close friends who came here, and everything was put together. And you had a loaded roster that included Frank Bartley and Jakeen and Gant and Bryce Washington and Malik Marchetti and Marcus Stroman and Cedric Russell, and among others. And they were special, right? They dominated the Sunbelt Conference like really nobody has in a very long time. And then they faded at the end, and that's fair. Like, look, they lost a couple of games. In the conference tournament, they're obviously their best shot blocker and rim protector in Jakeen and Gant, and a guy who also could fill it up and score, got sick. It was an unfortunate thing. They still lost the games, and they shouldn't have. That's fine. So then you come back the next year, and Bob Marlin loses a lot of that roster. But he brings back a couple of guys, and it feels like they're going to have a chance to run it back. And basketball is a sport in which it is almost impossible to lose your best player and live up to what you were supposed to do, right? It's a sport that each player means so much, as we mentioned, with a small roster size. So you come back with Gant and Marchetti and Cedric Russell and Marcus Stroman, and what happens? You lose Malik Marchetti 13 games in the season, who, by the way, was averaging 15 points a game. And that year he was their best defender, especially in the perimeter. They lose him in the last non-conference game against Southeastern right before conference play began. He was your best perimeter defender. Right, and so you end up that season. By the way, you still win 19 games. It's not like they collapsed and were terrible. You still win 19 games. So the next year, they kind of run it back. They lose again a lot of guys. Um, But Cedric Russell has kind of grown into a player. You bring in a guy like Jalen Johnson. And by the way, we've got this super talented kid named Kobe Julian who had some devastating injuries in high school but is now set to step in and become a big player for you. Well, he goes down. And Malik Wilson misses a bunch of games with injuries. Who yep, was another COVID that freshman. year, too. And they have a down year. Bob Marlin's, what, I guess his worst year here, except maybe at the very beginning. They go 14 and 19. Uh, his worst year would have been 12-13 when they went 13 right. and 20. Right. Yeah. So a pretty similar year to that. Yeah. And they run it back once again. They bring in a transfer like Theo Okuba. They bring in Duguay. Uh, they get back and go 17 and 9, and they have another good year, and they don't end up winning the conference tournament but again the pressure of winning three games in three days or four games in four days or four games in five days is tough in these conferences especially the Sun Belt, a conference that's not you know one of those that you can dominate the way you can in some of the lower leagues so to then come from that situation and run it back again last year and get to the point they got with Jordan Brown coming in the five star who they competed for to get out of high school and he decided to go elsewhere you bring him in you bring in Greg Williams you bring this group in, and it doesn't mesh right away. And look, that's sometimes what happens when you bring in that mm-hmm. many guys on a one roster. And they had some injury problems last year as well. You had guys in and out of the lineup throughout the year. Kobe so, again. Kobe again. And so what happens this year? You finally have a year with Well, Bob they make Marlin. the run, too, at the end late of the in the year. year right. At the end of the year, and then they make the run to the conference tournament as the eighth seed all the way to the championship game. And he brings back that core. You know, with the exception of Akuba, who leaves through the portal, um, and you know a couple of smaller role players that depart, you bring back that core, and for the first time since the 2017 season, you have the majority of your. Now Kobe came in late, right? But uh, he yeah. was that was something you knew beforehand. So Kobe comes in late, and for the first time in a long time, you have your core of guys for the whole season. And I can't stress how important that is. And look, 
You can say what you want. Injuries happen everywhere. I understand that. But Bob Marlin consistently in this group consistently were snake bitten with their best players going out missing huge chunks of the season for the last three or four years. And should they have won a few more games in that stretch and maybe made it to a conference tournament championship in that stretch as well? Maybe so. That's fair to say. But to the idea that after last season that Bob Marlin was just this sitting duck coach that had lost his program and needed that we needed change, I just I just didn't buy into that narrative then and I don't buy into it now. And look at what he was able to do. And that's why I'm so happy for him specifically, his coaching staff, and his players who came in, bought back in, and decided, hey, we're going to take this where it was from last year and we're going to finish the job this year. And, and they, they and they stayed healthy. They lost Michael Thomas for a handful of games. They did. They lost Kobe Julian, but they didn't have Jordan Brown. Didn't miss half the season. You know what I mean? And that's what happened in almost every one of those years. And I get you can make excuses all day if you want to, but I just think the narrative around Bob Marlin and the fact that people kind of had this idea that he had lost a step and that his program was wasn't going anywhere. Like then they weren't really fully looking into what was happening. And look, if this team wouldn't have succeeded and would have been seventh or eighth place in the Sun Belt then maybe you'd have been able to reevaluate things. But I didn't think it would, and it didn't. And here's where you are. You're going to the NCAA tournament. And by the way, we're going to get into that later. We've got a couple of weeks before the tournament's going to happen. They're going to have a good shot to win a game. We'll see what the matchup looks like. Uh, but this isn't a team that I think uh, you know a 3, 4, or 5 seed's going to want to play in the first round. You know, one of the initial reactions is some have a projection of them playing Tennessee. Now, Tennessee has been the bane of their existence in the NCAA tournament. This has be, be, beat them three times. Yeah. Or no, no, twice in the NCAAs, one in the NIT back in the day. And what does Rick Barn teams do traditionally, whether he was at Texas or at Tennessee? By the way, they, they tend to get upset in the NCAA tournament. I just, I just well, and look. So we again. I don't want to get too far into it because we're going to have plenty of time to talk. Oh, projections we're going to plenty of time. Like yes, that. Yes. But I will say early on, the early now Lenardi has him as a 14 seed. Most other publications that I've seen have him as a 13, 13 right now. Right. And the thing to keep in mind, and the thing that I will, I'll give uh, Raging Cajun fans a kind of a rooting guide throughout these conference tournaments. What you want to happen is a cup, and which is likely to happen, is a couple surprises down the stretch. If the MAC has a conference tournament winner who's not in the top two, then those teams will slot in behind them, and every team that does that would push the Cajuns up a line. I think they're very likely to at least get to a 13, which I think also really start once you get to a 13, those are the teams that start to really have, and you tar- take a look at the historical winning percentages. Once you're a 13 seed, you're not playing one of those top 15, you know, top 10 teams, I should say. Correct. That's why we have so many 13 seed upsets, 5-12 upsets as well. So you should, my guess right now is that they're going to get up to a 13. If a ton of chaos happens, maybe you get to the 12 line, which of course, 12 seeds have a great history in the tournament. So I think if you get to a 13, you're in pretty good shape to maybe uh, maybe make some noise in this thing. Making some noise. This man's going to give you a blueprint of what to watch out for when it comes to conference tournaments. This is what D'Lo brings to the table, people. That's what he brings to the table. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we still haven't unveiled our poll question of the day. Yeah, oh, by the way, the Saints made news yesterday. Which happened live on the air with Kevin Foote. And yes, thankfully, the maid service hadn't got to our building yet because if they had, I'm fairly for certain law enforcement would have been called because someone was screaming like a maniac inside the hotel room again. (laughs) We got to take a timeout for RP3 and company coming up right here on the game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, we've spent all of our number one talk in Louisiana Raging Cajuns winning the Sunbelt Conference Tournament and punching their ticket to the NCAA Tournament. And rightfully so, it's a big deal. It's the first time they're going since 2014. But we do have a poll question of the day to get to, and we've been neglectful of it, and we apologize for that. It's also a big deal to the producer. That's what I want to say, too. So he may have had some influence in what we talked about in hour number one. And me running on maybe an hour and 45 minutes of sleep. I just said, that's fine. Poll question of the day is, with the Saints signing Derek Carr, which happened live on footnotes yesterday, are the Saints the favorite to win the NFC South? Yes, no, or need to see more moves. 59% of you say yes. 30% say need to see more moves. 11% need to say no. I need to see what the other teams do. Well, I was going to say, the, the reason I would say yes at this point is because the, the rest of the South is pretty terrible. So, I mean, Derek Carr immediately, you want to talk about where he ranks among quarterbacks? Well, he's immediately the best quarterback in the NFC South right now on a roster. So. Absolutely. Until maybe one of the other teams tries to get Lamar Jackson, I don't think I don't think that's happening. But we'll see. We will see. We can revisit the Baltimore this situation. Is weird. It's, it's weird, weird, but I, I, I yeah. And I but mean, but look, I, I got to see what the other ones do, right? But right now, I, I think so. John Paul says, considering the current state of the NFC South, I would say yes. The great unknown in the South is Carolina. They have many picks, much cap, and improved after dropping their head coach and best player. Ralph says, today as the roster stands, yes, I think it's a solid move. It depends on who we're able to sign in free agency. If we draft wisely what the other teams do, and if coaching improves, who dat and go Cajuns. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two will shift gears. We'll talk Houston Astros baseball with Brett Chancey. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company 703 on a Tuesday. Back inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Of course, I'm joined inside the studios by the producer, soon to be extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. 
Spent all of our number one essentially talking about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns punching their ticket to the NCAA tournament with a win over South Alabama last night in Pensacola at the Pensacola Bay Center. Yes, I am broadcasting live from the studio. Yes, we drove through the night. Yes, I'm running on maybe an hour and 45 minutes of sleep. <laughs> yes, Dawson is already propping me up, and we're not even halfway through the show. <laughs> so it's good times. Good times. Hey, when you're celebrating a championship, this is what happens. You got to sacrifice sleep. Things have to be sacrificed. We also touched on our poll question of the day. Derek Carr signs with the New Orleans Saints. Some of you aren't too thrilled about that. You've already messaged me about it. Others are the Saint fan. It's a tortured soul they are. We asked you, does Derek Carr automatically become the best quarterback in the NFC South? Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook That's and Twitter. That's not exactly what we asked, so I'll just jump in just, <laughs> just to make sure, you know. Since you told me to help you out, the question is, does the Derek Carr signing make the Saints the favorites in the NFC South? Similar question, but it, I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to, by the way, heads up, you're going to need to be doing that more often the rest of the show. <laughs> right now, someone that I don't have to worry about, right? He's going to come and deliver, as he does all the time. He's the co-host of the Locked On Astros podcast. It's our good friend Brett Chancy joins us now. Brett, good morning, bud. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. You know, we are four days away from my son and I making our first trip to spring training, and I got I got no complaints, my friend. You know what, bud? I want you to enjoy that because I don't have a son, and I've exposed my daughter to baseball and my wife to baseball. And neither one of them were exactly thrilled about sacrificing a few hours of watching a Sounders game in Nashville last summer. So a trip to spring training facility, probably not in your boy's future. So I want you to enjoy it for the both of us. Yes, sir, I will. And, hey, with the games being two hours and 18 minutes on average, maybe you could sell it to them because, you know, we got this pitch clock madness that's just, you know, Jose Altuve got dinged for his first, uh, I almost said shot clock violation, but he almost got dinged for his first, well, he did get dinged for his first violation of the pitch clock. And, you know, this is this is a whole new world for baseball we're living in. I don't think the games are going to be as short as they've been, but it's I, I think you're going to see some key moments, some key games affected and outcomes affected by these new uh, Manfred rules. I, I believe that as well. All right, so let's get right to it. Hunter Brown was sensational and AAA dominated down in Sugarland, and when he came up, he looked really impressive, looked really good as a starter and as a guy to come out of the bullpen for the Strohs, help them win a World Series championship. Lots of, uh, well, I guess the expectations are higher this year for Hunter. He's supposed to be maybe part of the rotation but he's had a couple of shaky outings so far in spring training. What's been missed with the young phenom? I know in the first start he talked about he had it sounded like he was working on some mechanics. And if you go back to spring training last year when he was at Big League Camp, he was well, not Big League Camp, he was when he was in spring training 
his control and keeping the ball in the zone was a struggle for him. And as the year went on, it got better and better. And I think a little bit of this is coming off of the World Series winning season, him being a part of the team at the end of the year, coming in with probably the expectations of everybody, including us, talking about how he's kind of Justin Verlander 2.0. We're not giving him a Hall of Fame plaque right now, but there's so many similarities in their, in their delivery that the release point is almost exactly the same. So he's got more pressure on him this year. Lance McCullers kind of falls off for opening day. So now it's like, all right, kid, you're definitely going to be in the rotation talk. I think he may start slow. Last year he had the exact same issues, but he's when he's missing, I was looking at the charts yesterday, he's not missing by a lot. Um, yesterday he was missing with fastballs, not just breaking pitches. I think we temper our worry and our fears to let him get through spring training and see how he performs in the regular season. Now, if he has these struggles two or three starts into his big league season, they're not going to set him up for failure. I just think he's young. I think there's a lot more pressure on him this year. And there's a lot of things that go into this, knowing that you will have a part all season long with the Houston Astros. I want to talk about someone that it looks like Dusty Baker may be really, really high on. And we talked about in the offseason addressing the outfield, right? Beefing that up. Yeah, you get Brantley back, but could use somebody else out there. And, uh, you know, uh, how about a guy that can play all three positions in the outfield? And that's what Justin Durden can do. Could we see him have a big role or at least, I don't know, maybe not big is the right word, but could we see him make the opening day roster? You know, more and more people that I talk to tend to think that. Now, um, going with Brian McTaggart's article, he's the Astros' main beat writer. Um, he basically is saying that the competition is between McCormick and Myers. I think that Dearden is definitely in lockstep with the actual being in competition for that center field spot. Um, Myers probably gets it at the beginning of the year because he's got seniority, and I think Dusty and the Astros are they're they're very they're very in tune with certain guys and giving these guys all the chances they can get and basically allowing them to fail or succeed. But Dearden makes his way, I think, on this roster sooner rather than later because at every level, both seasons he's hit. He was an undrafted free agent. Um, He's got a lot of potential, and, and he is a good outfielder. He's got a really good arm. So, Dearden is, I mean, at the end of camp, they may announce he's on this roster. He's up with the club opening day. But if not, I think he'll be here before the All-Star break. Let's talk about the rotation. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, Framer's going to be the number one. You're looking at Christian Javier, Jose Arquiti, Garcia to round out your rotation. Hunter Brown's probably going to be the mix with McCullers definitely being banged up. But what about Blanco? I mean, I know he's on the older end. He's 29, uh, but he's another one of those great guys that the Astros find internationally. He's from the Dominican. He made his debut last year and then, you know, didn't see much action after that. What can we expect to see out of the former Dominican star? Well, from what he did in winter ball to what he's doing now, 
he seems to be on the right track that if what Dana Brown said is true, that they're considering putting him as a starter, I think maybe you caught lightning in a bottle. And like, and I think his age may play to his advantage because when you're older, you're—I mean, we know this—you get more mature where you're supposed to. And Ronel Blanco has put quality inning and versus quality, like he's put battles against the hitters, and every one of them have been top notch. At first, when I heard the thought, I was like, "No, there's no way he's going to be a starter," but. If things keep going the way they're going, why wouldn't you? This is what I would like like to see them do. They do a lot of piggyback starting in the minor leagues. I think you could, if Blanco, you're not confident in him going three or four innings, you could put him one time through the order, inning one and two, or even maybe into the third, bring in Hunter Brown, um, and then you have an eighth and a ninth inning for Abreu and Presley. Because if you're not ready for Brown to start, maybe Blanco slides into that role and he becomes kind of an opener. Um, look, I guess anything's possible. Ronel Blanco, I trust the process. If they put him as a starter, I'm going to believe that's the best place for him. Wrapping up our conversation with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. If Michael Brantley is healthy, and we expect him to get healthy as the season progresses. Who's going to hit number two in this lineup? <laughs> well, if Michael Brantley's healthy, I don't see if there's any way Dusty Baker gives that spot to anybody else but Michael Brantley. Just because when you have a small sample size of Jeremy Pena, it looks really good on paper. But baseball isn't measured on small sample size. Um, for example, Tyler White hitting 675 in his first five or six weeks in the major leagues. Well, Tyler White's no more, okay? So small sample sizes don't mean anything to baseball teams. It is about what you do over time. And Michael Brantley is a proven hitter. Michael Brantley is a contact guy, and he would be an absolute animal in the second spot. Jeremy Pena would be fine lower in the order, and that's probably what's going to happen if, He's out. I think Pena is second, but I think you see Brantley second most of the year. But Dusty is going to have multiple lineups. It's not just going to be one way every game. World Series postseason hero, have fun batting eighth. That's where you belong right now because the Astros have those type of wealth of riches, by the way. I'll get you out here with one more. Uh, The baseball classic, world baseball classic starts and – the Astros have a significant number of players taking part in this. How does this affect their spring training? How does this affect their preparation for the upcoming season, which begins later this month in a few weeks? And any concern whatsoever that these guys may, I don't know, possibly get injured? You know, with 14 players, it is, to me, it's excessive. <laughs> it's like, you have to take all of our guys, like, I get the pride for the country and everything, but when you have 30 or 40% of your players that are from Latin American teams, this is bound to happen on the World Baseball Classic year. I believe that the clubs are in such close contact with those running these teams for each country that the teams for each country are going to be um, good stewards of these players. Now, there are uncontrollable things, the variables like injuries that pop up, I don't think 
injury thing is going to be an issue. My my concern is this. Let's say Jose Altuve, okay, or Kyle Tucker gets into a slump at the World Baseball Classic. Is that going to carry over in the regular season? Because the pitching is going to be good, but you're going to play some countries that are inferior to Major League pitchers. That's my concern. How is it going to throw them off preparing? They're professionals. It should be fine, but it's always in the back of my mind of it's just the timing always seems bad. You know, I'll tell you this. The World Baseball Classic, why not use amateur athletes? We used to do that in the Olympics, you know? Fair point, brother. Fair point. Brett, appreciate the time as always. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing with the Locked On Astros podcast, bud. And uh, when do you leave out with your boy to go down to spring training? Yeah, so we are going down um, Friday evening. We uh, we uh, fly into town like a, a, a little past midnight on Saturday. We'll be there at the Saturday spring training game. Um, we're going to be there the following Saturday, and on Wednesday, we're actually going to go see the Dominican Republic play Israel. A friend of mine, uh, you know, invited us to go watch them play down in Miami. So we'll be all over the place. We may actually pay Jeremy Pena's college coach a visit up at Stetson University. So I'm really excited about that. This man is living his best life. Brother, enjoy the time. Enjoy the time with your son, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, definitely. And, hey, let's talk next Tuesday when I'm at spring training. Oh, this man's going to make time for us while he's at spring training. Let's do it. Let's book it. (laughs) Have a good one. You too, bud. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Whole question of the day. Let's see if I can actually read it properly. Uh, I can read it. Uh, remembering what it is may be difficult this morning. With the Saints signing Derek Carr yesterday to a four-year, $800 million deal. No, I embellishing a little bit. The money doesn't really matter. Up to $150, $100 million in guarantees. It's a lot. It's a little more than I thought it was going to be. But again, the but market Mickey Loomis is, what is going to turn it all into signing bonus money anyway. And we saw Geno Smith get big money as well. Geno got and paid. We'll see what Daniel Jones gets. And at the end of this, if Derek Carr is like, you know, I think take a look. The biggest contracts, like the other thing people have to realize, the market gets reset almost every year. So take a look at the other contracts that come through, and then we'll evaluate whether the Saints may be overpaid or not. Shout out to Gito for getting paid, right? The journeyman guy looked lost, looked like his career was over. To come back to set the single-season record for passing yardage for in Seattle history to lead into the playoffs after they parted ways with Russ. Comeback player of the year, first-time Pro Bowler. And he just got a lot of guys that are fairly similar career paths to him, A, extra jobs in the league, and B, Correct. potentially bigger paydays because teams – that's how the NFL is. Once they see it happen, 
They're uh, always going to be looking for the next version of him. So we're going to be, and look, Foot's already been searching for the next Geno Smith all offseason, asking who it's going to be. Well, we'll I, 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 I already can tell you who it is. But you're going to cut him because he's going to be Jameis, a salary cap. It's going to be Jameis for somebody else. Yeah, I don't know. I, look, I, I would, I would, I would like to believe that Jameis is going to turn on somewhere else, and maybe he does. And I wouldn't be too, you know, upset about it because I think the Saints made the best decision they can make, and he's going to make the best decision he can make. But um, uh, I don't know. And again, yeah, Gino did it, but Jameis has had a lot of. Um, I guess he hasn't had a lot of high profile opportunities because the Saints would never really worked out. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean. I'm just giving you my guess. I mean, you yeah, you, no, you, he, you were quick to burn that idea down to the ground. No, look, he talent I I get <laughs> the mold makes sense. He's got the talent for it. He now we'll see what situation. We didn't think Seattle was going to be a great situation to step into with Russ leaving, but no, ended up, now no. they had DK and Lockett. They had some receivers and they had, you know, a nice young offense, so we thought maybe, but then again, I I'm not going to act like I thought that was going to work out. So Marcus Mariota no chance. Oh, woof. There's some bad quarterbacks out there. <laughs> the Saints got a pretty good one. With the Saints signing Derek Carr, are the Saints the favorite to win the NFC South? 62% of you say yes. 28% say need to see some more moves. 10% say no. Let's get to some additional comments this morning. Ton on the Twitter says, need to see what develops. And as it stands now, yes. However, there will be other moves around the division, and some of those may negate the Saints' move. Ton also says, I know this isn't related to the poll question, but all the people calling for Marlon's job last year are awfully quiet right now. You're darn right about that one. Uh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Look, I know Carr is not great. Right? I know some of you are worried about how much you're paying him, that he's been 63-79 and 79 as a starter, 0-1 in the playoffs, you know, I, and he's going to a team that needs a running back, that needs a D-tackle, that needs an offensive line. This will be the best defense he's ever played with, which is football, you know, look, football's a team game. It just is. So I think that matters. Michael Thomas's reaction with prayers answered emojis or whatever it is, I, I get the impression that Michael Thomas is happy about this. And we've talked about what are the Saints going to do with him. Well, if Mike is healthy and ready to go, that kind of solves your wide receiver issue. Now, that's a big what if because you haven't seen Michael Thomas, you know, healthy for God knows how long. Seems like a presidential term ago. Oh, yes, it has been. And look, there's some rightful discussions about Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael as head coach and as OC. I get it. But if you're the Saints, this is the best move you got, Dawson, right? This is the best move. He's the best possible quarterback on the market. You go get him. You lock him up. He's an improvement over Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. You give yourself a chance, and now you can go, okay, at 29, I can go get the best D tackle in this draft. Or maybe you wait till the second round, you get the kid out of Baylor, who I'm really high on. He is a monster of a man. Go get you a D tackle. Go get you Osiris Torrance, former Cajun slash Florida Gator offensive lineman. Go get you another safety. Go get you a wider. Like, 
you have now everything at your disposal to go do because you improve the quarterback spot. Is Derek Carr going to be an MVP candidate? No. Is Derek Carr going to be an all-pro? No. Is Derek Carr going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer or even a Hall of Famer? No, 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 no. But Derek Carr's an improvement from what you had last year, and you were a couple wins away from being a playoff team a year ago. It's the best move out there. Geno Smith re-upped. You had to improve your quarterback. You went and did so. Now you move on to try to address the other needs that you have. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Randy to the show. Randy, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, good morning. Um, I'm going to take uh, take you to task on this heinous Jameis stuff. I think the best thing that could happen for the, uh, the Saints right now is that Jameis Winston goes to Carolina and Atlanta drafts Anthony Richardson. Then we're guaranteed the South. Uh, but, the, I mean – I know the guy won the Heisman. He was a first-round pick. He won a championship in college. But he's always, even then, been known for making terrible decisions and throwing way too many interceptions. He is never going to be Geno Smith. He's, uh, it's not going to happen. Wherever he goes, he's going to take that team down the, the rabbit hole. Uh, now Derek Carr, not the best quarterback out there, obviously, but uh, – you know what? He gives us a dynamic that Andy Dalton did not. <laughs> and uh, when we look at the, the overall picture, our biggest problem still is going to be running back. Uh, people think that Alvin Kamara is going to get suspended for a few games. Alvin Kamara may end up in jail. I mean, what, what they did was pretty heinous. And it's on video. It can't be denied. And, uh, but Randy, they needed a running to, back. But Randy, okay. they, Randy, they needed a running back even before the Kamara suspension is going to happen. Like and so, I I, I I I agree with you, and I think they're going to address it, and I think this is what the Saints are going to do. Now that they got their quarterback, I think you're going to see them sign a free agent running back, and they're going to draft one. I think they're going to do both things this offseason because they can, and that's what I think they're going to do. I think they're going to get a downhill runner with one of those two moves, and then they're going to get maybe Alvin Kamara's replacement with the other one. That's what I think they're going to do. I hope you're right. I hope they go and get Leonard Fournette. You know, get him out of that Todd Bowles offense. And uh, but my question about Fournette is this, Randy, and I thought about that too. Does Fournette want to put in the work? Does Fournette want to split carries? He's always had an attitude problem, whether that was a little bit at LSU, whether that was in Jacksonville, and even at Tampa Bay when he won a Super Bowl championship, he still scoffed at being a guy that had to split carries and complained about his playing time. Is he going to be okay being a platoon guy in New Orleans? He's physically gifted. He would be a great asset, but is he going to put his ego aside to do that? I don't know if Fournette's ready to do that just yet. Maybe they don't make him a platoon guy and let him play. You mentioned the Super Bowl year in Tampa Bay. When that other running back got hurt, that's when Tampa Bay got good. They were mediocre until then. But well, and they also that. committed. It's all about Tom Brady. And, 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 and they also, Tom Brady, and also had a conversation with, you know, the head coach and was like, hey, dude, let's stop throwing the ball 50 times a game. Can we just run it? <laughs> and it, sure enough, they didn't lose after that. So that was also part of it, right. too, you know. But no, I, I look, Fournette's intriguing, 
right? If he's if he's committed to play, that would be a huge upgrade, right? And if if Kamara is being suspended, which we expect at least six games, I think maybe even eight may possibly come down. Well, here's a guy you could build it into the contract. You'd be like, well, look, Leonard, yeah, you're gonna have to split some time maybe after Alvin comes back, but you're gonna have six to eight games where you're gonna be the starter. We'll we'll fold that into your bonus money as incentives, and you can get bonuses. Maybe then he comes and does that. And plus, that LSU pipeline thing is starting to happen. Maybe Tyron Matthew can help make that happen as well. Well, here's hoping because I want to see him in the playoffs. I got you, brother. I got you. Appreciate the phone call, bud. Enjoy your day. Be safe out there. All right. Good morning. Look, I know folks are hard on Jameis. I, 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 I get it. I think the problem for Jameis was it's the problem with a lot of these guys. You're the savior. You're a top five pick. You're a top ten pick. You're the franchise savior. <clears throat> Some guys can't handle that. And Jameis had turnover issues in college, especially that last year, right? That last yeah. year when they made it to the playoff, he was a turnover machine then. And well, and the funny thing is you talk about the savior mentality. I think it goes back to that season because Florida State lost a lot off that championship team. And then Jameis came back, and they were still pretty good, but I think he tried to he tries too will much. them back. He and tries he, too much. He did a pretty deep – now he, he turned them all over, but he got them back to the playoffs, right? And then they had that kind of embarrassing loss in the playoff game. But it was uh, – yeah, the, the writing was on the wall there. I think – I still think also he didn't go into the right system with the right situation around Correct. him. And sometimes that's what it takes. I'm not saying he would have been a great Hall of Fame level that's, quarterback in the right situation. That's what we talk about all the pro. time. We talked about it yesterday about Anthony Richardson. Quarterback, you have to go to the right team, the right fit. You have to have other pieces. You have to have the team built around you, offense, defensive line. You have to have competent linebackers and DBs. You have to have wide receivers and running backs. And you have to have a coach that's going to be patient to groom you and groom you the right way. So many of these teams that are drafting in the top five, Dawson, or the top ten, they don't have the team set up the right way. They don't have the people in place to help develop a young quarterback. And they put too much on the quarterback. And guess what happens? The quarterback fails, and the franchise gets impatient, and after two years, they make a change. And then the guy becomes a journeyman quarterback. We see it all the time. Got to take a timeout. Good phone call there by Randy. Appreciate that. When we come back here on RP3 and company, we're going to shift gears. We're going to go back to basketball. We're going to talk about the pros. I was told not to worry about the New Orleans Pelicans. I was told everything was going to be okay with the Pellies. Was I lied to? Or did people just drink the Kool-Aid a little too soon? We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. 
the New Orleans Pelicans. Let's go. They're ready. They're making a push. They're going to be a contender. I was told, not necessarily by D'Lo. D'Lo yeah, is I a, didn't want. I didn't want to get involved with that. D'Lo is that. a sensible young man, respectful as well. Okay, and, and he saw some of the chinks in the armor, if you will, like I did early, and he was like, <laughs> "He's not one to rush to judgment," but he was like, "Not, I'm not here." Our afternoon host, uh, co-host. Crunch time, uh, Matt, aka Miguel, aka Big Messy, Miguez. He was like, "Oh, they'll be, they'll be fine, they'll be fine." That's all I've heard. That's all I've heard from diehard Pels fans. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. Well, last night they lost to the Sacramento Kings, which is not necessarily all that terrible, right, Dawson? The Kings are firmly in the, you know, top one of the top four seeds in the Western Conference. So that's not necessarily a terrible thing, right? But this is where they stand now. By the way, they're out of the top 10. They are now a full three games under 500 on the season at 31 and 34. They've lost three of seven in their last ten. They've lost two in a row. They're a mere half game above the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they're tied with the team everyone says was going to be trash, that everyone told me was going to be so much worse than the New Orleans Pelicans, and that the Pelicans were going to laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Uh, that would be the fighting Anthony Davises, the Los Angeles Lakers, by the way. This is what also the Pelicans have done. They've lost 15 straight road games to teams over 500, which means they can't beat good teams on the road. You got to beat good teams on the road if you want to win in the playoffs. They can't beat mediocre teams on the road. There we go. They barely beat bad teams on the road. They haven't had a winning road trip since the very first two games of the 2022-2023 season. That was a good time, huh? Oh, man. It was so much that? optimism. I didn't oh. even work here yet. People, people were pouring champagne. It was flowing. It was feeling good about those Pelicans. They are 7-23 when allowing 115 points or more. They are 3-20. When scoring 110 points or less. And they have lost two or more games in a row on seven separate occasions. And it has now been 128 days since the New Orleans Pelicans have won a road game against a team with a winning record. So, D'Lo... How do we feel about the Pelicans as it stands March 7th at 7.45 in the morning? They're not very good. I mean, we, I, we've we been there for a while with me. I, I don't – I mean, nothing's really – we, we keep waiting for them to turn it around. No, I'm waiting for Zion, and if he doesn't come, then I'm kind of done with it for the year. I mean, that, that's where I am with it. I don't I don't. We see keep this waiting group. for them to turn it around. Like, okay, they're going to figure it out. They're going to put together some wins. 
Zion's going to come back. That part, maybe. Maybe that will happen. Uh, maybe. Are we getting an update? Wasn't oh, it? Oh, man. Yeah. They give up. You know what my favorite thing about the Pelicans is this year? They give updates. Their updates are, we're going to give you an update at a later date, and then that date comes, and then they go, we're going to give you an update like, whenever we feel like it. They're like, they're like, nah, man. And then when they don't nah. announce it, they just randomly on a Tuesday say, oh, yeah, you had a setback. Uh, I won't be back for another month, whatever. Nah, bro, we ain't doing that. They come back home. Tomorrow night, they're going to take on the Mavericks. They're taking on Oklahoma City on Saturday, which a certain producer will be in the house for as a member of the media. Shout out to Dawson. Be covering the Thunder inside the Smoothie King Center. Portland at home, L.A. at home. With the exception of the Dallas game for me, the other three games are winnable games, right? OKC, Portland, L.A. And then... They get two games at Houston and then a game against San Antonio and then a game against a lifeless Charlotte team, especially now with ball out for the year. The Dallas game is very winnable, I think, especially at home. So many of these other games have been very winnable, too. So many of these other games have been immensely winnable as well, and they have not, Dawson. They are better at home. So, Dallas, OKC, Portland, LA, two trips to Houston, which is a weird quirk in the schedule where they play a Friday and a Sunday, both in H-Town, and then versus the Spurs, who are tanking for the big French guy, and then Charlotte. That's a eight-game stretch. What do you think they need to do in that eight-game stretch? Because for what that's purpose? the most favorable part of their schedule because after that, you have to play at the Clippers, at the Blazers, at the Warriors, at the Nuggets, then back home against the Clippers, against the Kings, against the Grizzlies, against the Knicks, and then at Minnesota. So if you want to eat up some wins here and kind of chew up a little bit on the soft part of the schedule, it's the next eight games. Yeah. No, I mean... I... Need to go four and four? I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm Going 500 is optimistic for the for the Pelicans for me. I think that's I think that's what you should be able to do, right? Win four well, or five again, games. The idea is that within those eight games, you're going to have Zion back, allegedly. If, yeah, right. I mean, and I don't even know. Again, I'm trying to find the latest update because <laughs> they're really good about providing updates really about when they're going to be providing an update. And then never provide the update. I really, really lose track. Um, but, no, I mean, look, we'll, we'll get some perspective from Ollie, I'm sure, a little bit later on about where he is and kind of what the latest update is. But, yeah, look, if you get him back, then you can win some games. I, I, I'm just kind of over it. I mean, I, they, they seem to they play well in first quarters a good bit of the time. They fade in the middle of games, and then they try to yeah. make comebacks. I mean, Third quarters are interesting how they play. You're like, eh. They're just not a great team. I mean, that's really, that's kind of it. The I most mean, optimistic thing for you is them making the play-in tournament, right? That's where we stand with this team right now. Yeah, I mean, for the most part. it. Look, the, the West still is kind of up a, in the air. So a log jam, yeah, sure. We'll see, but um, I don't know. They said he continues to make progress the following week. That week already happened. We didn't get another update, so I don't know. <laughs> the, the the I'm laughing because the amount of disgust in your voice is you're like eh, yeah 
yeah, yeah. That was I'm worried fun. about yeah, if the Cajuns yeah, can move yeah. up to the uh, to the 13 line in the NCAA tournament. My man, my man's focused on the Cajuns and where they're going to be placed in the NCAA tournament. It's a good. Yeah. And we got Derek Carr too. Why could, Carr could have signed on Wednesday. We'd have talked a lot more about it. He had to do it when the Cajuns won the championship. Well, we would have talked about it more if he would have signed during my show. How rude of him not to. Yeah, right after too. I mean, he really didn't wait long. I think he probably knew that. Totally derailed Kevin. Just totally derailed Kevin. Yeah, you'd think a guy that heard the news he wanted to hear would be more excited than that. <laughs> I will say this. This is courtesy of our guy, Nick Fondo, friend of the show. The man. This is what he said about about, about Foot. <laughs> he said, Foot suffered in anguish over the car news for two months. Got the result he wanted and enjoyed it for 12 seconds. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Kevin Foote. we got to take a timeout. When we return here at RP3 and Company, we'll update that poll question of the day. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. On a day where Derek Carr signs with the New Orleans Saints, Geno Smith reaches a three-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. Talks keep going on between Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens as well. Uh, Some sad and disappointing news involving Joe Mixon, the Cincinnati Bengals star running back i do believe he was supposed to be a free agent this year uh there's been some sort of incident where cincinnati police are investigating uh going on something with a nerf gun involving a child and a 13 year old has been shot and there's conflicting reports on whether or not joe mixon was the one that shot the child or somebody else shot the child uh, obviously, we will do a deeper dive on this and share the news when it actually becomes a little bit more clear, but it appears that Joe Mixon has been involved or is connected to some sort of incident with the shooting of a child. So we'll see what happens there involving the star Cincinnati Bengals running back. Hour number two. Come to a close. Hour number three is going to be jam-packed. We'll talk Pelicans with Ollie Cassell coming up at 8.30, but leading things off is Jimmy G from the LC. That's right. The great Gazzolo joins us to talk all things McNeese. Cowboys and Cowgirls moving on to the semifinals of the Southland Conference Tournament. 
We'll talk about it next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Two hours are in the books, and we've made it through two hours of yours truly, running on, it's generous to say, two hours of sleep as we made our way back from Pensacola late last night. I haven't screwed up things completely. I've misspoken a few times. I did botch the poll question, but for the most part, Dawson, you have uh, guided us on a fairly um, uh, hazardless journey if you will yeah no worries i mean look producer notes are gonna be you know i'm gonna start probably throwing them in there more often whenever i catch you making a mistake live that i notice (laughs) just to keep you on your toes to never know when it's coming i will say this you said mcneese men and women were both headed to the semis the women you almost were you almost had it there it is women's tournaments a day behind the men's tournament so they're only in the quarterfinals but the the men's team is in the semis so i let all of lake charles down it's okay Will they forgive me? Will our next guest forgive me for my gaffe, if you will, my error on the air? He is the man who covers the McNeese Cowboys, Cowgirls, all things McNeese for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also host of Poke Nation and host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which makes its glorious return this Wednesday, it's our friend Jimmy G from LC, the great Gazzolo. Jim Gazzolo joins us. Jim, how are you this morning? Unforgiving of your mistakes. That's how I am. Unforgiving. <laughs> Thank you. I expect nothing less from you, sir. Thank you. I We do not accept such stuff in the chuck. How you doing, Raymond? How was Pensacola? It was lovely. Um, <laughs> All right. It was, it was, it was, it was so lovely. You know, they they have the big videos in the arena, bud, where they tell you, Hey, welcome to Pensacola. We get to hear from the mayor or whatever other politician. They say, Hey, come view all of our tour sites. And I'm like, that sounds great. So we have some time one day. So I want to go see their aviation museum that they're known for. They have the blue angels there and the whole nine yards. Guess what, bud? Not open to the public. It's only open to anybody who is military or on-base personnel, and they have to accompany you during your tour of the Aviation Museum, which is free to the public. What what was the advertisement for, then? (laughs) Come check out all the other things. Uh, so I just had an extra meal inside the arena uh, for media. So, uh, All right, there you go. Yeah, you know, hey, look, hey, went in Rome. All right, so let's talk about the fact that the McNeese men's basketball team has decided, hey, the calendar's turned to March. 
we are never losing again. They win their regular season finale against UNO to get into the conference tournament. Then they take down the five seed. Then they take down Nichols last night. What is going on with John Aiken's team winning three straight games in a row and reaching the semifinals of the Southland Conference Tournament? I have no idea. <laughs> I wish I did. First time ever an eight seed has gotten to the Southland Conference semis. Uh, first time McNeese has gotten to the semifinals since 2012. Um, first time I can honestly say I, I've seen. I've been saying this for three years. McNeese doesn't play Southland basketball. They have played Southland basketball. They have been physical. They're two young freshmen have grown up. Um. It, it's it's an amazing turnaround based on the fact that they have seven guys to play, and I think it's the seven guys have just said, the heck with it, we're going to play until we can't. It does seem from afar that they're really kind of coming together. Christian Shoemate is also, once again, he's been really good for them all season. He just keeps piling up the double-doubles. Uh, they just really, I don't know, uh, all these games are inside the Legacy Center, too. How much is that playing a role, that the regular season finale win and the two conference games are you know in front of the home fans, so to speak? I think it's played a little bit more into the others' minds than it has McNeese, really. This has become a team that knows what's out there, knows what the rumors are, and has basically told me, that it's just us against the world and it's the seven guys on the court. And that's who we're playing for, nobody else. And it's working. They're playing angry, very angry. Shoemate's been the best player in the league the last, uh, I don't know, month. Um, another double-double, his 15th of the year, ninth in the last 11 games last night. Uh, he's unstoppable. Donovan O'Day has been fantastic since he's taken over the point and played more. And really the, the big thing is the – Dijon Thomas, the freshman, 6'7 freshman, uh, had his first double-double the other night, had 10 rebounds again last night. They're a great story because they finished up the regular season with nine wins, right? Even with winning the game against They're UNO. They're a great story, yes. They, they got to nine wins. They back into the tournament. Now they've won back-to-back -back tournament games. It's a great story. But tonight in the semifinals there in the Chuck, they're taking on the league's best team, the number one seed. Any chance whatsoever that they can pull off yet another upset? Only, only if um, Corpus Christi doesn't come to play and takes them, doesn't take them seriously. That's really it. They're out of gas. They, they play, you know, they play two games. They have no bench whatsoever. Uh, a completely different story. Um, it, it's I would be stunned. But here's the weird thing about the Southlands. The two teams in the tournament semis, um, McNeese and New Orleans, which won last night over Southeastern, they combined to lose 18 straight games at one time. Conference games. So I don't know what to expect in the conference. Should, they win? should either one win tonight? No, they shouldn't. But they shouldn't be here now, and they'll tell you that. But I don't know if you saw, but – you probably could have answered your own question there. With the new Southland Conference logo, you know, it's it's like a compass, and it points in all different types of directions, and one of those directions is to unpredictability 
when it comes to conference tournaments. I don't think you read that in the press release, though. So, uh, I, I no, I looked at it and said, oh, "Looks like the top of my Christmas tree." If I didn't want to put the angel up this year, so <laughs> we're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He covers the McNeese Cowboys, Cowgirls for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which returns this Wednesday night on the game. All right, let's talk about uh, the women. You see, Raymond, you say that anticipating a McNeese loss tonight. Who's anticipating don't a McNeese you? loss? You. I don't anticipate. I anticipate going to bed once the show is over. That's the only thing that's on my mind. You're not gonna come over for the game. You're not gonna come over and join us for the games. Um, that's a that's a negative, Ghost Rider. Um, my family right. would say, uh, you just got back out of town, so no, you're staying home. Um, and rightfully so. I'll be napping. The women, All right. they started off with a win as well. Obviously, they're just now in the quarterfinals. How do you like their chances tonight? Wow, just throw them up there. Uh, I, I don't like their chances at all, to be perfectly honest with you. Lamar is the worst possible work. They are the worst possible matchup for McNeese. Why? They're the only team. That, they're just they're more athletic. They're the only team to blow them out twice, both by double digits. They just don't match up athletically with them like everybody else. Um, I, 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 they've beaten or they've played with Southeastern and almost beaten them. They've beaten just about everybody else in the tournament or been within a point or two of them. Lamar's a different breed for McNeese, it, the, the number three seed. Not a good matchup. They would have to play extremely different and extremely well to, to win this game because it, athletically, Lamar is the better team. Jim, I will tell you this. I know you're the more veteran and decorated sports journalist, having covered Super Bowls and Rose Bowls and all that stuff from Chicago to L.A. I get that, and I respectfully just want to tell you, bud, this is March. Anything can happen, bud. Anything, Anything can, can happen. happen. Yes. Anything oh, can happen. That. Believe me, I've witnessed that the last two nights. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that if, if you ask me, athletically, this is, and, and Coach Lynn Kennedy will tell you, this is the team we do not match up well with. We're going to have to figure out a way to do something differently to offset their athleticism. Let's switch over to the diamond. The baseball team sure does feel like it's figured, started to figure things out. We go back to the win over the Raging Cajuns in the midweek contest. They sweep their weekend series. Uh, before that, they, they won their weekend series, taking two of three. What's been the big difference that you've seen firsthand, Jim, with Justin Hill's team right now? Um, they've gotten deeper pitching. Um, they've gotten a nice start. It started with uh, Morrow against um, the Cajuns here. He went six innings of shutout ball. Came the next night where Burrell Jones went six innings of no-hit ball against Southern. That carried over to the weekend. Uh, they got two shutouts against George Washington back-to-back. Grant Rogers has been amazing. He's 3-0. The best thing you love about Grant Rogers' games is this. Hour and 45 minutes the other night. Hour and 45 minutes, he takes six seconds between pitches. He is a deadline dream. Outs. <laughs> uh, how do you like their, uh, their second matchup, their rematch, so to speak, with the Cajuns, which will be held over here in Lafayette tomorrow night? We have the, the both games. Uh, the softball program and the baseball program are both playing uh, against the Raging Cajuns here in Lafayette. Both games will start scheduled to start at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. 
Uh, what do you like? Uh, do you like them in the rematch? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, the weekday games are always weird to me the further you get in because you're always thinking about conferences and that. I want to see who they're going to pitch because they've used a couple of guys, Morrow and Jones. They used them on Sunday thinking they might start in the rotation on Sunday, so I don't know who they're going to come back with on Wednesday night. Uh, that's kind of the interesting thing there. So I, I kind of throw it out a little bit because it's a weekend. They've won five in a row. Um, it'd be a bonus if they win it. I know they like to win those games. Their fans love to win those games. Um, but I don't, I don't put as much emphasis into weekday games as other people because everything's about the weekends. And football starts tomorrow, Raymond. Look at that football. It's a football year. Everything, everybody's working for the weekend. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, they're looking. I, I'm sure the Cajuns are the same. They're looking to find and establish somebody in the rotation that can come out of the bullpen if something goes wrong on a Saturday or a Sunday, and yes. that's what you use the weekday for to kind of get that and kind of accept. Uh, and, and they found that with Jones, and they found that with Morrow. I think they'd like to develop one more arm out of the bullpen, though. I agree. I agree. You know what's great, though, Bud. Unlike college baseball teams that maybe just throw someone and don't really care what happens in the midweek contests, we care about you joining us every Tuesday here on RP3 and Company in the middle of the week because you deliver the goods, my friend. Thank you. I don't, I don't know if we do that, but uh, I'm telling you, they're putting on a pretty good show over here. Pretty good food. Pretty good food. Always the key to a good tournament. Good food. <laughs> there, there it is, brother. Thank you for your time. Wait, Enjoy wait, the- wait, 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 wait. We haven't done one thing yet. Uh, I'll try to get them to do that. Have the mayor of Lake Charles say, Hunter, come on board and tell us where we can go even though we can't get in. We're going to try that this week. <laughs> tell the people to come and visit our visit our town and come to the biggest tourist attraction we have, and then they'll find out when they get up to the gate and the military personnel says, uh, no. No. <laughs> There'll be none no. of that today. Thank you, Jim. All right. Thank you, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Shout out to John Paul Cajun Daddy on Twitter for watching us on the simulcast on Stadium Network 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. My man is getting to witness what we do and what we look like here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. My man said, new guy, that'd be you, Dawson, in case you were wondering. And Clint Domain my first time watching on 32.3 got a day off we may need to back that camera up a little bit or is rp3 sports is your head that big 
I am the big, bald, and beautiful one, John Paul. Yeah, I think I think the uh, I think everyone knows the answer to that question. Big, um, bald, and beautiful. I'm sure glad yesterday wasn't his first day watching simulcast because boy, did we have some trouble. <laughs> Thankfully, today is his day off yeah. and not yesterday. Yeah, I think I think as everything should be running well over there today. It is, as far as I know. That's right. We got a nice little animation too when yes, I switch the cameras. I, I, a little swipe. You ooh, seen that? I see that. I see it's, it's, yeah. it's a little highfalutin going on around here i leave town for a little while come back and things are fancier we got a bougie situation going on in this studio is this what happens are you making things more bougie around here well i you know honestly if you want the the truth because that's what i usually try to bring to you guys yes. um it's not the, hard it's not no, hard to make things more bougie with no no what happened was the uh <laughs> the computer so the reason we had all those issues is because the computer kind of reset itself. I think we might, I don't know, we might have had a power outage or something at some point. And we couldn't find the old settings for the transitions. We couldn't find them in the computer anywhere. So this was the one that we chose, but it wasn't necessarily out of trying to make things more bougie. It was just because the old settings were wiped away and we couldn't find them. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, that's that, he says. Poll question of the day. Before we get to that, well, no, this is related. So Ralph has chimed in. Shout out to Ralph. He says, RP3, we've had five different starting quarterbacks since Drew retired. This brings stability to the most important position in football. I agree. Here's the other thing. Derek Carr isn't Aaron Rodgers. Guess what, Saint fan? You don't need him to be Aaron Rodgers. You just need him to be Derek Carr. And if he is just Derek Carr playing with a top 10 defense for the first time ever in his career, uh, you're going to have a really good chance to win the division and be a playoff team. You were close to being a playoff team last year. Once again, the division is what we call, Dawson, hot garbage. It is awful. Like, adding Derek Carr gets you to eight wins, which is enough to win the division. That's what people keep forgetting. They're like, well, yeah, yeah, you need a D tackle. Yeah, you need another offensive lineman. Yeah, you need a couple of running backs. Yeah, you need another wide receiver. Yeah, you probably need another safety. But by adding Derek Carr, you you go ahead and become a playoff team because the division is just that trash. It just is. Yeah, and again, like the the logic of bringing Derek Carr in is that this front office a they have pushed themselves into a situation where it would be pretty hard to tear it down. I think people like don't really stop and think about that as well because of the money situation and because of what they do with the cap. And they have a lot of aging veterans that are still very good players at this moment, DeMario Davis, Cam Jordan, etc. And this front office is trying to squeeze another run at things in this window. And Look, are they good enough to make a Super Bowl run right now? I don't think so. But at the same time, look, the NFC is nowhere near as dominantly competitive at the top as the AFC. Correct. We'll see if Philadelphia can get back to where they are. We know it's difficult to make another Super Bowl run right after you get finished with one. Um, and outside Especially of that, after you lose one. Right. And outside of that, San Francisco has huge quarterback questions right now, and we don't know who's going to be there. And so, like... The NFC's pretty open, so like if the Saints made, if they hit on a few key pieces here in the draft, and Derek Carr kind of, we get the higher end of what he's been in his, his career as opposed to the middle of the pack end, 
you're you're going to be right there, and it only takes you know a few great weeks in uh, in the playoffs. So. Even if you get middle of pack Derek Carr, Dawson, he's still better than what you had last year with Andy Dalton. Well, yeah, and, and I'm referring to the higher end of, of Derek Carr ceiling, not like yes. quarterbacks in general. Yes. I'm not asking him to be a top five guy. If he's anywhere from that eight to fifteen range, you're going to be a better offense than you were a year ago. So. And this gives you the opportunity now. And, and to your point. Uh, by the way, Mickey Loomis is not being pay- paid by, first of all, first it was Tom Benson, now Gail, the queen, to do a rebuild. Okay? Mickey Loomis has no desire to f- forfeit a few seasons and build this thing up from scratch. He just doesn't. That's not how he's built. That's If you've been paying attention to the Saints, that's not how they conduct themselves. It's not how they conduct themselves. They always think they have a chance to be a playoff team. So that's how they're always going to operate. You add car, now you can address the other things that you need to address. I feel like they should draft a running back and sign one. You could still help to add another wide receiver, even though it seems like we're getting some buzz that Michael Thomas is happy with the Derek Carr signing and that he and Carr may be on the same page, and he may want to come back if he's healthy. But that's a big what if. I still think you need to go out and get you another wide receiver. I don't think that can be a bad thing. And get you a D-tackle and a, and a guard. Those should be your priorities. You do that, you could maybe win 9-10 games. And again, if the we'll see what shakes out with the rest of the division, but... Nine or ten wins could turn into 11 or 12 if the division's as bad as we kind of envision it It seems might like be. the rest of the division is sitting on their hands. Well, and and we'll see. They're, obviously, they're gonna, someone's going to make a move in the division. Someone's going to pick. But, again, if someone takes a quarterback, you anticipate that team already kind of like eliminating themselves a little bit because I don't think any of the rookies in this class, especially that the teams in this division are going to be in position to draft, are guys who are ready to step in and lead you to the playoffs. Nope. So. Again, no. nine. I think the team on paper is going to be good enough for, let's say, nine, ten wins, and I think that could turn into eleven or twelve if the division's as bad as you think it is, and you're able to kind of beat up, maybe go five and one in the NFC South. Correct, Amundo. Poll question of the day: With the Saints signing Derek Carr, are the Saints the favorite to win the NFC South? Fifty-seven percent of you say yes. Twenty-nine percent say need to see more moves before making a decision, and fourteen percent say no. Who that forever says crazy as it sounds. Carr might be the second best quarterback in the NFC, assuming Rodgers leaves Green Bay. This move assuredly makes us the best team in the division. Just got to go add a few more pieces. Just get to the playoffs and anything can happen. All bets are off. Doug says, isn't it a little too early to project anything for the Saints? I mean, maybe. Yes, but we're on sports radio, so that's what we do. <laughs> I mean, Doug being sensible, I appreciate that. But I'm sleep deprived and D'Lo wants to mix it up today. So I'm all for it. So, you know, this is what we're going to do. t Wirt says this move may, in fact, produce several new players in key roles in terms of the revitalization of their careers. Look, I mean, look, Michael Thomas and what he does could be huge for this team. We got to take a timeout. Keep those votes coming, though, for the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. When we come back, sorry but we got to talk New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> Holly Cassell from the Bird Rights joins us next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. When times get their darkest involving the NBA franchise down in the Crescent City, I turn to one man to light the way to positivity. He's the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Ali Cassell joins us now on RP3 and Company. Ali, good morning, my friend. How are you, bud? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing well. How about yourself? See, this is what I love about Ollie. Even when the team loses yet another game on the road, even though the team is not even in 10th place and they remain on the struggle bus, my man still says, you know what? I got air in my lungs. I was able to wake up today. It's a good morning. I love that, Ollie. Good morning to you. Yeah, you can't let sports overtake your life to where it affects your health or your mood, right? I mean, we've watched enough for enough years to know that, but I hope everybody takes that lesson because right now, watching the Pelicans, it's a chore. They got beaten by a better team last night, and unfortunately, I don't I don't know where they turn to from here, Raymond, because you're right. They're not even in 10th anymore. It's a four-way tie, right? So two of these teams are going to make the play and likely – Two of these are not, and it could very well be. One of them could be the Pelicans. I did not imagine when we were speaking back in November that fast forward five months, we would be talking about this team struggling to even make the play-in tournament. But yet here we are. And, uh, Ali, look, they, they lost last night to a quality opponent. Sacramento is a good team. They're right now currently the three seed in the standings, and they're looking to be a top four seed for the Western Conference playoffs. So there's nothing to kind of, you know, hang your head about when it comes to losing to a quality opponent. But I still see problems with this team and credit our mutual friend David Grubb for sharing this on social. Pelicans have lost 15 straight road games to teams over 500. Haven't had a winning road trip since the first two games of the season. 128 days since they won a road game against a team above 500. Even if they make the play-in tournament, Ollie, uh, their chances aren't great because they struggle mightily on the road winning games or even sometimes being competitive. Couldn't agree more. I mean, they're really almost on an identical pace, win pace now to last season's team that got off to a terrible start that we saw play terribly. But then they start playing better, right? Now the Pelicans have none of that momentum. And what you just read off is very important, right? You've got to be able to win a game on the road. You've got to be able to beat teams that are above 500. And right now, they can't do it with almost the same group they had towards the end of last year. And that's the biggest mystery. Why is this group suddenly not playing as well as the guys did last year when a lot of the young guys, right, didn't even have as much uh, experience? 
I'm, I'm honestly left scratching my head. And really, the only thing you feel like that can help at this point is Zion coming back. Well, I'm glad you asked about the big fella, face of the franchise, cover boy for Slam Magazine, along with his other two teammates. Um, the Pels do a great job of saying they're going to give us an update. And when that time comes, we really don't get the update or we really don't get information that should come with an update. So I'm going to ask you, because you know people, you rub elbows with the 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 bigwigs of New Orleans. So you have connections, if you will. Uh, when we're going to get an update about Zion, because last time I checked, uh, we're running out of games. Yeah, I'm expecting one this week. They're home for four games, and I heard through the grapevine that we're going to get some kind of update during this homestand, which is still vague, right? Because you're right. We were supposed to get something very shortly after the All-Star break. And from what I understand is that Zion's not close to returning yet. He's still largely being relegated to things like, you know, working in the pool. He's not running yet. So obviously he's not close. And so I don't know where you're going to hang your hat here. I mean, so even if you get the news, it doesn't sound like it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. What would you give percentage-wise as it stands this morning? And I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but what would you put the percentage roughly that we'll see Zion in a Pelicans uniform again this season? I think it's still really pretty high. I had said when he first, you know, retweaked this hamstring injury that we likely wouldn't see him till April. Everything I understand, we're still tracking for that. They don't expect for him to have another setback. They don't expect for him to take that much longer in getting back than he did the first time he hurt the hamstring. So, like I said, all the, the time schedules, it, it just shapes up the sometime after April 1st, right? So that leaves you, what, just about two weeks left in the regular season, a handful of games to get under your belt. But hopefully, right, or the Pelicans are still, are they going to be in it? I mean, that's the biggest question. Nobody expected this a month ago. Now, of course, you're facing this. So do you push him a little bit harder or quicker to get back? You wouldn't think so, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they do now. I honestly don't. They were able to push themselves and push into the play-in tournament a year ago and win the play-in tournament and did it all without Zion. You have primarily the same pieces back without, you know, just minus Devontae Graham missing shots in bunches. Why isn't this team playing better, Ollie? I, you have the same coach. You have the same players. You have the same situation with no Zion. They know how to do this. Why aren't they doing it? I think it goes to show you how important momentum, rhythm, things like that are, right? They had a nice um, upwards trend last year. Bad start, started playing better, kind of leveled off, made the trade for CJ, and suddenly they, they looked really good when they were all on the court. I won't forget that four-game stretch coming out of last year's All-Star break where they just beat up right on teams averaging their their wins by what was it like close to 20 points before they finally fell to the nuggets in overtime in a game that they lost ingram for a little bit i I haven't seen anything like that and we saw a team that is playing that well on the other side of the court right On on the other side of the floor last night in the kings they were the ones getting after it defensively they were the ones that were showing that 0.5 mentality seemed like they ran every single play with the kind of vigor that Willie Green's trying to get our guys to do. 
And that's the problem, right? The, the Pelicans just can't put forth an effort that's going to allow them to get away with just making a few mistakes. Because right now it feels like they have to play perfect basketball to win. So having 16 turnovers last night, even though they shot lights out, you still felt like they had no chance to win once the Kings went to a zone defense that they have faced a lot of times this year, but for some reason they couldn't beat it last night. So that that was a difference in the game. Kings go on a 22-8 run to finish that third quarter after going to the zone. And like I said, I'm just mystified that this team's just not better prepared, more focused, giving more effort. Because you're right, it is the same squad. So I, I'm, I'm left without answers. I really am. Uh, the And we'll wrap it up with this, Ollie. The thing that kind of is head-scratching to me as well is that I thought this team was trending towards playing better defense. But this season in particular, after Zion departed, They've just been very bad. They they are seven and twenty-three when allowing 115 points or more in ball games. What's the thing that stands out to you more than anything about how they play team defense? It doesn't look as unified as last season. So last year you still had right Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, guys that are good at the point of attack, which they still are, but there's now problems all around the rest of the court, whether it's a skip pass, a couple passes, they're finding wide open shots. I mean, the Kings moved the ball around the perimeter several times. They were getting wide open threes. The other thing is finishing possessions. The team last season just rebounded better. They're not doing that this season. So, like I said, I don't know why they're not playing up to the same abilities as we saw last year, despite the fact they've now got Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy, Herb, Several other guys have much more needed experience. So it really doesn't make any sense to me. For whatever reason, they're just lacking that same fire and continuity and unity. Brother, appreciate your time as always. Keep it the tremendous work that you're doing with the bird rights. But you know what? Keep doing a tremendous job what you're doing in your personal life by being positive, waking up every morning with a smile on your face. But keep that up as well, my friend. And we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, no worries there. They're not going to break me. (laughs) (laughs) This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, Well, I wanted JV to really be aggressive still. Because, I mean, even if a double's coming, I have faith in him to still make the shot. But I told, I just told him early in the game, I said, trust me, like, throw it back to me, I'm going to get it back to you, or I'm going to find open players. But I just told him to trust me, and he looked me in my eyes, and he trusted me. So, I mean, I I can't give enough credit to JV for, like, really trusting me and letting me play freely and be myself. So I appreciate it.
That's famous folks who stepped up in a big way for this team last night. And that's what they needed. And he talked about their, his teammates trusting him. He pointed out Jordan Brown trusting him. And there seems to be a lot of trust on this team. There just does. And there's good chemistry. There's a lot of unselfishness with this team. And 26 wins. Sunbelt Conference Tournament champions. And now they're headed to the NCAA Tournament. And so many of these guys get a chance to go play in the big dance. I think of Kobe Julian getting an opportunity after everything that he's gone through to finally get to taste that. You know, you think about Jordan Brown getting to go to the tournament in the same place where his father played. That's going to be special for him. And hopefully Greg's able to go by then, which, you know, Coach Marlon seemed optimistic. He, he tried last night. He so. tried to go. He seemed optimistic that the turf toe was not going to keep him out of their NCAA tournament game. It's just so many good stories. This is a, a, a very close, tight-knit group of players. And I, I keep bringing it up, and I, I kept bringing it up with Bob. And I go, you, one of your players is out. Like, Greg Williams couldn't go because of turf toe. Couldn't go. So you lose one of your starters. And Kentrell Garnett did not really do all that much offensively. And he had his hands full defensively. It was a bad matchup. That kid was just a bad matchup for him to try to guard. That was the highest, uh, the the leading scorer of the game was who Garnett was forced to cover, or to force to defend. You get another one of your high energy guys, get a flagrant two, and get thrown out of the game. I yet, and the crowd was very much in favor of South Alabama. Far more Jaguar fans there than Cajun fans. Not to say that Cajun fans weren't there. But you could tell the Jaguar fans got loud. Hottest team in the conference. And you still found a way, in spite of all that, to win the game. And how about another stat? South Alabama finishes the year winning eight of their last ten. Their only two losses, both to UL. Yep. That's a nice little rivalry in all sports. Used to be just baseball back in the day. And in basketball a little bit. But it's carried over to football now. And we've had some really dramatic games the last couple of years in particular, ever since Kane Womack took over at South Alabama. And uh, so, great night for the Cajuns there in Pensacola as they win the conference tournament. They punch their ticket to the NCAAs for the first time since 2014. Bob Marlin gets to go to the NCAA tournament for the fourth time in his coaching career, twice at Sam Houston State, now twice with UL. And we'll find out where they'll go on Sunday officially. But, Dawson, we have a few minutes to spare before we wrap things up. You're seeing some projections. You're, you know, you're going through the weeds, so to speak. They could be a 14 seed or a 13 seed. What can you tell us, bud? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting, and it's still early at this point to kind of take a look at it because, again, most of those conference tournaments, and in, in case you, know, you aren't too familiar with the way conference tournament seeding happens and the way that the NCAA tournament seeding happens as a result, uh, you're basically you're 11 through, you know, sometimes 11, usually starting around 12 through 16 is where most of your automatic qualifiers take place. So most of your teams that win conference tournaments that wouldn't have been in the tournament otherwise, like UL, are going to be seeded 12 through 16. Now, what impacts that seeding tremendously is whether or not we get some surprise conference tournament winners. Because, again, almost all of these teams that are projected in there right now 
are only getting in if they win their conference tournament. College of Charleston is 29-3. and I think it would personally be a travesty if they didn't get in. If they lose their championship game, they're playing UNC Wilmington tonight. Um, they have the potential to be a 29-win team that does get left out, but they're maybe the only one that has a chance at an at-large bid otherwise. So for the Cajuns, they're currently projected on the 14 line. They're, a lot of places have them 13 seed. A lot of places have them a 14 seed. It's a pretty big difference, too, and I'll kind of pull those numbers. We'll have that for you later in the week on the difference in your chances of winning a game as a 13 seed versus a 14, and then as a 12 versus a 13, it goes up even more. So you, my goal for them would be to get them up to the 13 line, solidify that spot. And so basically there's a few conference tournaments that are going to be taking place throughout the week that I'll try and get in here and, and have you on the radar. So the first one's going to be the A-10. Right now VCU is the projected winner of that tournament. If Dayton won it, Dayton would probably be ahead of UL as well. But if somebody outside of that, Fordham is a team that's seeded third in that tournament, but they're well below UL in the net ranking. So if you if Fordham were to win that tournament, UL bumps up a spot. Um, Toledo is projected to win the MAC. Kent State would also be ahead of UL, but anyone outside of those two teams would be below them. So teams like that, those are the conferences to start to watch out for. But as of now, UL projected a 14, maybe a 13 seed in the tourney. Call and we'll dive deeper into this as the week progresses, as Dawson just told you. Final results of the poll question of the day. With the Saints signing Derek Carr, are the Saints the favorite to win the NFC South? 56% of you say yes. 28% say need some more moves. 16% say no. I want to take a moment to thank our guest as well, Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast, the great one, Jim Gozzolo from the Late Charles American Press and the McNeese Coaches Show, and Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights. Oh, we made it, brother. We made it. We made it. Now I get to go sleep. For the producer, Dawson Eisenlow, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind of one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.